This is the Gartner Podcast for Supply Chain Leaders. Hello, my name is Thomas O'Connor, and welcome to another episode of the Gartner Supply Chain Podcast, where we sit down with supply chain's best thinkers, innovators, and leaders to share with you the most up-to-date strategic insights and tactical tips you need to drive supply chain success. And today, we're going to explore the world of supply chain in the Asia-Pacific, a region that's seen real disruption these past five or so years. It's forced many businesses to contemplate strategies such as regionalization, localization, and as some term it, deglobalization. And to help us explore this topic is my colleague, Tailing Tan, based out of Singapore, who has recently released a number of Gartner reports exploring key trends across China, India, and Southeast Asia. Gartner clients, you can check these reports out and much more on Gartner.com or via the link in the show notes. Tailing, it's great to have you with us today. Hi, Thomas. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Perfect. All right. So, Tailing. Earlier, I mentioned these concepts of regionalization, localization, deglobalization. But you're on the ground in Asia-Pacific, right? Working with numerous large-scale organizations. So while we're definitely seeing changes to supply chain operations within the market, are we really seeing this shift towards regionalization, localization? This is a very interesting question. Now, to answer this question, let's take a step back to look at what got us here to today. The U.S., China geopolitical tensions really ratcheted up in the last three to five years. Uh, in the decades prior to this, businesses looked to the Asia-Pacific region for growth and also as a low-cost manufacturing location for many of the products. Companies are, were building their supply chain globally in Asia-Pacific, driving node simplification, and China was a global manufacturing hub for many companies focusing on how to do things cheaper and faster. It was a great way to reduce operating costs. Today, China's situation is materially changing, whether that's the geopolitical tension that I mentioned earlier, or population decline, higher wages, businesses are being forced to think more outside of the box in diversifying risks, exploring new markets, and manufacturing locations with lower costs. They are actively looking at alternative developing countries such as Vietnam, India, in this part of the world. Besides geopolitics, other factors are reshaping the supply chain network in this region as well. For example, to drive more growth, improve agility, and sustainability are key factors to consider. In this space, India and Southeast Asia are playing an increasingly greater role in the global supply chain network, and they are also opening up new opportunities for companies assess their potentially high growth consumer markets. So in summary, I would say that we are seeing some form of deglobalization where companies are re-optimizing their supply chain network in view of the current business environment and supply chain needs. All right. So Tinling, as you talk about, you know, re-optimizing their supply chain networks, I think that's a really interesting space maybe for us to dig into a little bit. How are we actually seeing that a network change happening? What sort of examples might you be able to provide there or how would you describe it occurring, whether distribution or manufacturing networks or, or otherwise, of course? Yeah, sure. As shown in our recent Asia-Pacific supply chain network survey, we are seeing a trend where organizations are transforming from an efficiency-focused network into one that can address multiple business requirements, such as driving greater growth, mitigating geopolitical risk, 
and improving agility and flexibility. In this survey, we see that businesses with operations in Asia Pacific are expanding manufacturing capacities in this part of the world. 33% of the companies are expanding their manufacturing capacities in India in the next two years, followed by Vietnam and China. Now, when they are selecting the new manufacturing locations, they will consider key factors like proximity to the market, supplier network, country stability, as well as efficient logistics infrastructure as their key selection criteria. Now, in the recent years, we have read that countries like Vietnam, India, have been very successful in attracting manufacturing investments from many companies. This includes MNCs from different industries ranging from high-tech to mobile phone manufacturers and to sports apparel companies. And as these companies implement strategies such as China Plus One and Nearshoring, they are also reviewing the role of the factories in China. For example, whether to focus the China factory for Chinese domestic market and use Southeast Asia factories for the rest of the world. Besides these manufacturers, some key suppliers of these manufacturers have been attracted to set up their facilities in the new locations as well. For example, in India, one of the world's largest wind turbine manufacturers called Vestas from Denmark has convinced its turbine blade supplier to move a significant part of its capacities from China to India. Investors estimated that approximately 85% of the suppliers will be in India ultimately. Similarly, Apple has qualified about 14 suppliers from India to support its local production as well. So over time, we are seeing that their trend to continue with a more diversified supply chain and their ecosystems forming across different countries in the Asia-Pacific. The supply chain might not be the cheapest nor the most efficient, but it's certainly one that has more resiliency than today, given the current business environment. Really interesting, Teleng. And what it really makes me think about is, you know, with all of this change that we're going through, of course, it means that fundamentally we're needing to upskill new talent within our networks as well. You know, it's not just lifting and shifting a, a facility. It means that we need to find the people to actually work within that facility and within that broader ecosystem that surrounds it, whether it's logistics or otherwise. So am I right to say that talent's a key pain point for these businesses who are moving into new markets within Asia Pacific? Yes, indeed. There are many problems that businesses will encounter as they transform their supply chain network. The most common challenges that we hear from organizations include the inadequacy of local suppliers' ecosystem increase in operating costs, but also shortage of factory workers, engineers, and even executives. Just like in many parts of the world, supply chain talents are scarce in Asia-Pacific region as well. Skills such as data-driven decision-making, cross-functional collaboration are key skill sets that are required in different supply chain functions. The problem has intensified even more as companies embark on digitalization and transformation. We are sharing challenges from clients in attracting talents with the right skill sets to lead critical functions in their supply chain in Southeast Asia, for example. Similarly, in India, supply chain talents are also highly sought after by many companies setting up their operations there. Even in China, there has been a shortage of 5 million AI talents. So in order to address these problems, companies are expanding their supply chain, their talent pool, 
and engagement with their universities. For example, in Southeast Asia, some companies are beefing up their talent pool by bringing in talents from the neighboring countries. In India, they are tapping into the well-developed IT source services to work in supply chain. If you look across the various countries in Southeast Asia and India, governments are investing more resources to train up engineers and upgrading digital skills of their workforce to take on supply chain professions. So in the foreseeable future, as companies continue to expand their supply chain and drive digitalization in this part of the world, the high demand for talents is expected to continue and even increase. Key implication is, of course, the cost for indirect workforce will increase. But I think more importantly, the ability for companies to continue to attract and retain their talents will become a critical competitive advantage. Got it. No, absolutely makes sense, mate. And I think it's a really great call out at the end there around how that ability to retain talent will be a really critical competitive advantage as we look ahead. It absolutely makes sense when you're investing so much resource into upskilling people. That's unfortunately part of the deal where others will be looking to tap into you as a potential source for their own employee talent pools. So yeah, lot, lots going on in this space and the complexity here is huge. And you know, we all know, for example, that India's traditionally been hyper-complex when it comes to state-by-state rules, regulations, these sorts of things. We know that there's been challenges or can be challenges around import and export processes and rules. But the area that I'd love to dig into maybe next is that area of logistics. Are we seeing material shifts in capability and logistics infrastructure investments across these regions? And what logistics challenges are businesses specifically needing to tackle? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. Logistics is certainly a very critical area as companies redesign their supply chain network to provide the most cost-efficient and effective delivery solutions to their customers. Companies are upgrading their logistics capabilities, working closely with their logistics service providers in reviewing their warehouse capacities and footprint in the new distribution network, setting up new connectivity lanes between countries and outside of Asia-Pacific. But the key logistics challenge in Asia is still in the area of infrastructure, which includes seaports and roads infrastructure. The government authorities are certainly aware of this, and they have been investing substantially in the logistics infrastructure. For example, the building up of the uh, deep sea water port and developing the North-South Expressway in Vietnam. In India, through the Gaiti Shaki National Master Plan, they are upgrading seaports infrastructure in the southern and western parts of India. This will enable them to handle ultra-large container vessels with increased automation. They are also developing their train system to connect the major areas across India via the north-south-east-west corridor to form the Golden Quadrilateral. In Southeast Asia, the Asia Rail Network has connected China to Laos with, with the plan to connect to the other parts of Southeast Asia like Vietnam, Thailand, Malaysia, and eventually Singapore. Once this rail network is established, you will be able to have an alternative mode of goods transportation in addition to ocean and air freights within Asia. But also, you will be able to even transport your goods from Southeast Asia to Europe via rail. But this is definitely something that is very interesting. Yeah, the evolution and the timescales that we're obviously talking about here are, are significant. The investment that's required from governments and, of course, private enterprise is huge. And so there's an awful lot that's happening here. And 
um, this shift is, you know, not without its challenges, um, covering off just, you know, network talent and logistics so far. That's really fascinating. But as we come to a bit of a close here on the podcast, I'd love it if, you know, we could start to maybe explore, you know, as we look ahead over the next, we'll call it three to five years, you know, you're talking to multinationals operating across the Asia Pacific on a regular basis. That's, you know, what you do here at Gartner. When you speak to them and maybe when you're giving our audience here at the Gartner Supply Chain Podcast some advice, what might be one or two pieces of guidance that you'd provide them with regards to their operations in the Asia Pacific, no matter whether they have direct supply chain operations, such as distribution hubs, manufacturing plants, outsourced operations, maybe working with partner networks of customers, suppliers, government bodies, or something else. What might those one or two pieces of advice be? I would like to give three pieces of uh, advice to our audience, if that's okay. <laughs> no worries at all. Right. First of all, I think it's important for the supply chain leaders to be very clear on the business objectives we are trying to achieve by diversifying the supply chain network. These objectives and priorities can vary depending on your business context. For example, if your priority is to minimize disruptions to your supply chain, you need to reduce the surface area of your supply chain and its exposure to these risks based on our research. Or secondly, collaborate with your key partners, vendors, and suppliers to invest strategically and build the ecosystems to support your supply chain. But this will take time, but you will definitely build competitive advantage for your supply chain network in the mid to the long term. And last but not the least, invest in people development to attract and retain the best talents to build your strength by working closely with the academic institutions and having a robust talent development program. But this is probably the most important step as talents are the ones will ultimately make the difference in your supply chain. Got it. No, it makes sense, mate. And uh, yeah, there, there's an awful lot of complexity out there as we try to tackle these you know, strategic changes to our operations in supply chain. And there's definitely more risk today in Asia Pacific focused supply chain operations, but real opportunity as well. And I think that's come through quite clearly, particularly with some of those large scale investments that are happening in parts of Southeast Asia, India, and otherwise. So yeah, lots going on. Tayling, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you join us today to discuss supply chain operations in APAC. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Thomas. It's been a pleasure as well. Brilliant. And finally, as always, a big thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us for another episode of the Gartner Supply Chain Podcast. Guy at the clients, as usual, if you'd like to speak to Tayling or another one of our experts about supply chain operations in the Asia Pacific, you can do so via our inquiry service. Or simply go to Gartner.com and check out Tailing and others' numerous research reports focused on the region. Finally, if you've enjoyed our show today, please be sure to go to Gartner.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you've listened to our podcast, and give us a five-star rating, as well as subscribe to make sure you're notified once our next episode is released. My name's Thomas O'Connor, and I can't wait to be speaking with you all again real soon on another episode of the Gartner Supply Chain Podcast. Thank you. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology.
This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.